Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci. This podcast series is about demystifying hormonal issues and struggles facing so many women today. And I'm committed to presenting smart and insightful information, allowing you to make smart, insightful, and educated choices regarding your health, creating new possibilities that maybe at another time in your life could have seemed radical. Maybe today will be a 180 moment for you. I want to help you create the best version of you in the world. This is what the Hormone Lifestyle Zone is all about. So today I am feeling super energized, pumped, hopeful, empowered. I'm feeling inspired. And part of that is due to the fact that the past few weeks I've just taken some downtime for me. I moved into a new space a few weeks ago. I love it. I'm making it my new home. So I've been getting a lot of rest, going to bed at nine o'clock at night and waking up at six. I've been doing a tremendous amount of cooking, pampering myself, and I'm feeling so energized. I just needed to dial back. I've been really crazy for the past couple of years. So it feels good to have taken that break. And here I am today and ready to do an incredible show. But I also want to share with you, I attended a town hall meeting up in Goose Creek, South Carolina, and I saw Elizabeth Warren, and I found her so inspiring. I love how she explained in great detail everything that she would like to do to change the direction in this country. So I really encourage people, anytime you can, attend a town hall meeting with any of the the candidates are running for president. I find her very dear to my heart. So I would say be informed, uh, keep up with the New York Times, and don't and avoid those little sound bites from Fox News. Uh, that's enough on politics. And now I would, what I'd like to do is um, introduce someone that is very dear and close to my heart, and her name is Cheryl Passwater. And she is uh, the guest on today's podcast, And to the title of our podcast today, The Mighty Microbiome, Exploring the World of Fermented Foods. So, Cheryl, I'd love you to say hi. Hello. And um, I'm going to tell you a little about Cheryl, and then I'm going to take a moment and explain a bit about the microbiome. I can't say enough about it, but I feel that the more information I give you, the better understanding you will have, particularly in light of fermented foods. Cheryl and I go back, what, 12, 14 years? About 12. Wow. Yeah. Because I met you right before my 30th birthday, and I am 41 now. So. Wow. Time flies. Cheryl, at present, is the chief fermentationist and CEO of an awesome company called Contraband Ferments. She is an educator, an amazing artist, writer. She co-organizes the New York City Fermentation Festival and the New York City Ferment Meetups. She's a contributing writer for Edible Magazine, as well as a contributor to the new book Miso, Tempeh, and Natto, and is currently working on her first 
first book on fermentation <laughs> due out sometime in the near, not so near future. I hope you make that happen, Cheryl. And you can find her teaching workshops um, and um, she's at festivals both regionally and internationally. She lives in Brooklyn, New York, yay, my hometown, with her partner and her cat named Koji. And Koji means moldy rice and all of her cultures as pets, also known as bacteria, yeast, and mold. So <laughs> your house is filled with all those things in the kitchen. It's true. Yeah. So Cheryl, you know what I'd like to do is just, again, take a moment. And I, I, I want to talk about how the, the gut and the microbiome is so important to everybody's health. Mm-hmm. So um, the gut microbiome influences every aspect of our health, including, for example, our muscular skeletal system. So when I see people that are experiencing chronic pain in their muscles or their joints or a chronic pain pattern that keeps reoccurring, I have to look at what's going on in the gut. A lot of times I will see acid reflux, maybe I'll see SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, leaky gut, but, and, and I'll go into that in a little more in a while, but the gut is really the epicenter for everything. Your gut influences your hormones. So if you're experiencing PMS, hot flashes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibroids, or infertility, your hormones are influenced by the bacteria in your gut because we are what we eat, assimilate, and eliminate. So your gut also influences your brain. It's not a separate part of your body. When we look at depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, we have to look at the gut. And if you'd like to hear about more of the connection between the gut and the brain and mental health, I did an awesome episode um, a couple months back with Dr. Caroline Smythe, and the title of that is Lifting the Veil on Antidepressants. Uh, what Big Pharma Isn't Telling You. It's an incredible podcast, so please take a listen. But your gut is the epicenter because it houses 70% of your immune system. So what does that actually mean? Your gut associate lymphoid tissue, which is also referred to as GALT, lies just under the lining of the intestinal tract. And it has this amazing job of surveying material, coming across a gastrointestinal tract, and it identifies each organism as friend or foe. So the GALT will signal for antibodies and other immune responses because the lining of your gut is the barrier between you and the outside world. You are one big tube from the entrance of your mouth to the end of that tube being your anus. Nothing should ever escape that tube. And if it does, it can wreak havoc on your body. The mucus barrier between the gallt and the contents of the intestines can become compromised by the standard American diet, which is highly processed foods and carbs, and it's a diet not high in fiber. It's a diet that could excess excessive alcohol, proton pump inhibitors for acid reflux. It cancels out hydrochloric acid. 
It also makes it difficult for you to digest your food and leaves you more susceptible to bacterial infections such as H. pylori and SIBO. And also, taking a lot of aspirins and ibuprofen and antibiotics and oral contraceptives can really impact the microbiome. And that barrier, that gastrointestinal epithelium, is one cell thick, and it prevents toxins and microbes and bacteria of undigested food from entering in your body. So when compromised, it can cause an array of, of symptoms. And this compromise is also referred to as a leaky gut. And you'll start seeing food allergies, environmental allergies, autoimmune disorders like Crohn's and lupus and Hashimoto's and infertility and breast cancer and a variety of cancers and psoriasis. So a healthy person has about three pounds of 500 different species of good bacterial flora in the gut. And again, your gut microbiome defines you and nearly every aspect of your health. So Cheryl, let us take the deep dive in the plunge into the world of bacteria. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I would love for people, I want to know how, and I want you to share with everyone how you got into fermentation and your healing journey, because it's an extraordinary story. Um, yeah, wow. Um, it's a long story, but um, I guess kind of the quicker version of this. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I think all, you know, as all stories have, you know, there's a longer history and then becomes a longer history than you probably realize. Um, but for me, I think the sort of big turning point was um, when I was in graduate school and even before I was in graduate school, I was just having lots of colds and sinus infections and I developed asthma as an adult, which was a little weird. And I even remember being like in middle school and elementary school and just always feeling like I had these nasty colds, but this was like kind of new level. And, you know, even going through my twenties, I had shingles at 24 years old. You know, I just kind of kept having, you know, things. And now I look back and like, Oh my God, my immune system was like screaming, help me. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, um, in my late twenties, I went to graduate school and I did my dual master's degree and I finished up school and about six months from finishing up school, my body just sort of crapped out. And, you know, I was turning sort of greenish gray, like Kermit the frog. And I was always sick and, you know, I'd go to the doctor and they'd be like, Oh, you're allergic to your cat. Here's a round of antibiotics. And I'd be sick two weeks later and I'd be back at the doctor and they'd be like, well, here's another inhaler and here's another round of antibiotics. And, um, you know, I was just not getting better. And that was around the time that, you know, I came in contact with you, Meg, through some people that I knew and, um, you know, had no idea how the hell I would even pay for this whole adventure. So, um, but I really had the epiphany, like, if I didn't do something drastic, I was going to die. I was just so sick you were. all the time. And so I had played in a punk band for many years and, and different music bands. And I went down to a thrift store. I sold all my music gear, walked out of there with a wad of cash, came to you. And I was like, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Like, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die. I've been a vegetarian for 15 years. I was just like, I'll eat me. I'll do anything. I just was like, make me feel better. Cause I was like, I can't live like this. And so, you know, that sort of started my healing journey and, you know, you know, I worked with you for a couple of years, I believe. And then, you know, I'd kind of graduated out of Meg territory. And, you know, I think with all gut things and oftentimes autoimmune things, which I 
um, you know, definitely deal with. Um, you kind of can go through waves where things sort of backtrack and come back again. And I had spent a year doing a candida cleanse because I had sort of all these symptoms of candida, but wasn't really coming back with candida. And I was like, you know what, this is a whole foods diet. It's not going to hurt me. I did that for a year. And at the end of the year, I healed my own asthma. I never had another asthma attack. So what did you cut out of your diet? Sugar, alcohol, processed meats. I mean, I just ate a really clean, clean, clean diet. I stayed away from most fruits. But at the end of the year, I healed my asthma and I never had another asthma attack. That's amazing. I never went on another steroid. That's amazing. Yeah. And at the same time, I started to get interested in fermentation. You know, it was sort of this thing where I was crossing some things here and there, like in a book or this or that, you know, and I'd go to a regular doctor and they'd be like, Candida doesn't exist. And (laughs) people just start, you know, like there is a point on that sort of healing journey where people start to treat you like you're crazy. (laughs) You're a hypochondriac, you're this, you're that. But also knowing, I was like, no, I, I just know, I trust my intuition as a person. And my intuition was like, no, you're like, something is really off. Um, and so, you know, doing that candida cleanse for a year, I think was really, um, powerful for me. It was something I did on my own and, um, you know, and then also it sort of led me to fermentation and, and, you know, really how I got into fermentation was I remember like that summer was about three or four months after I'd finished that cleanse. I was subletting an apartment and this girl had this big jar of kombucha sitting on her kitchen table with like this big thick scoby and she had like left it behind. And I remember sitting there, I was reading all these books at the time, a lot of like Michael Pollan and, you know, just kind of deep diving into Mm -hmm. all this, you know, amazing stuff. And I remember one night just sitting there staring at this jar of kombucha. I mean, I had to have been there for 20, 30, 40 plus minutes and just like looking at this weird floaty jellyfish thing on top and, you know, and really thinking about like, how much do I know about fermentation? It was like nothing, but every culture in the world eats fermented foods, but us, but we're the sickest. And sort of having this epiphany that, like, you go to Japan, people are eating fermented foods. You go to Eastern Europe, people are eating fermented foods. You look all over the world and people are eating sourdough and yogurt and kefir and, you know, and I mean, even, you know, coffee and cheese and wine and, you know, even more common things that we maybe in the United States are familiar with. Um, But that just really intrigued me, both as um, kind of a compulsive maker in life and getting more interested in food systems and where my food was coming from and cooking. And so, um, I was just really inspired by this idea that microbes and time could transform a food and, you know, make it bring in all this nutrition and knowing that I was having gut issues, but not even a hundred percent knowing what they were at the time. Um, you know, and then realizing how cost effective it was. So I just kind of started making and I started making too much. So I was giving to friends, then selling to friends. And the next thing I knew I started a mafia kind of rogue fermentation CSA (laughs) Um, out of a little coffee shop in my neighborhood and all my friends came and you know then eventually I was in a refrigerator that I had chained in an alley in Brooklyn and then eventually a CSA (laughs) spent at my apartment (laughs) to coffee shops Um, I've had interns at different points who just you know popping up places with people's you know fermented foods and um you know, I didn't necessarily you know, start out with the intention of, oh, I'm going to start a fermentation, you know, extravaganza. Um, but it is something that, you know, I found out really fast, like I'm really good at and also something I'm just really passionate about. 
Um, so. So explain, I give my version of why the microbiome is so important. Explain why fermented foods can really benefit people. I mean, I think, you know, when I sort of peel back all the layers and I think about it, it's like we each individually, we carry three pounds of bacteria in and on us. Like it's in us, it's on us. We can't get away from it. It's around us. Like microbes are important. They're important to our existence. They're important to our health. Um, you know, and, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, fermented foods are not a cure-all, you know, I occasionally get people that come to class, like, so if I eat fermented foods, like everything's just going to get better. And it's like, well, no, not necessarily. Um, but you know, that fermented foods, um, you know, help to balance out our, um, you know, our intestinal tracts and, you know, what's going on in our bodies. I like to sort of think as fermented foods as our microbes, um, you know, as superheroes versus the villains. It's like Batman and Robin versus the Joker and the Penguin, right? <laughs> and that if we don't, you know, but if we don't do fuel our bodies appropriately and we're not getting those microbes, um, then, you know, the villains win. We don't want that to happen. So, you know, part of eating fermented foods is bringing in um, those microbes, not just into the system, but also those microbes help to support the immune system. The gut and the brain are fully connected. And that's one of the things that we definitely, definitely know. Um, so, you know, there's a, a many reasons to do it. I mean, and then there's also things like preservation, getting through the seasons, you know, that, it, you know, that I can make a bat, you know, this is the perfect time of year to make sauerkraut. I love it. I just made a, you know, a couple gallons of sauerkraut yesterday. And it's just like, those are going to hold us over for the next few months and, you know, have them accessible. Um, you know, that we know that when we ferment things and especially things like vegetables that we, you know, almost triple the nutritional content of that produce. So, um, you know, sailors used to use sauerkraut. They would keep wooden vats of it on ships because that's how they would treat scurvy, which was a vitamin C deficiency, you know, and that, you know, miso and, you know, a lot of these kefir, like a lot of these cultured foods have been used by, you know, generations and generations and generations of people, um, you know, and maybe they didn't realize totally what they were as far as like a health standpoint, but they knew to do fermentation because they knew it would get them through seasons. So for me, it's like fermentation is both preservation and like kind of thinking about how do I eat well through the winter and preserve vegetables. And we're not talking like canning, like we're not talking vinegar. We're talking creating a highly acidic environment using microbes. But then also it's, you know, has numerous health benefits, a lot of which we know and some which we don't know. Well, you know what I find interesting? This is um, an important time of year where people get colds and flus and ear infections. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually seeing it a lot sooner down here than I usually do. And um, people say, oh, you know, so-and-so, my office, everyone in my office has a cold. Or my cousin had a cold and that's why I got sick. Well, in Chinese medicine, your immune system is called your Wei Qi. What supports that immune response is what you're eating and how healthy your gut is. And the microbiome is part of that immune response. And I find, knock on wood, I really, really don't, I don't get sick. And if I do occasionally, I have to take a look at, 
you know, where am I, um, where's my health compromised? Am I not getting enough sleep? What do I need to up again? Do uh, vitamin D, um, fermented foods, probiotics, all these things make a huge, huge difference. But when your gut is strong and vibrant, you have a better chance of, you may get a cold, but your recovery is so much better. So Definitely. what kind of fermented foods do you recommend during cold season? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of a mug of bone broth with a little scoop of miso paste in it in the winter. You know, we'll have that for breakfast sometimes. You know, we'll have other food with it. Um, you know, so definitely that, you know, little fermented vegetables, you know. And um, what kind of fermented vegetables? Think, make believe, well, actually, there will be listeners that know nothing about fermented foods. So if you can break it down a little more and explain, I think it'll be helpful. Because everybody yeah. just thinks of it as like sauerkraut and um, sauerkraut and maybe a little kimchi people, a lot of people even don't, yeah. don't know what kimchi is. And kimchi is actually really good for sinus infections and lung. Yeah. Well, it's that heat and that's, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, and just for immunity in general, it's like, yes, sauerkraut. And like, you know, I, I relentlessly get people who come to me in workshops and they're like, but I don't like sauerkraut, Cheryl. But really I'm like, they've only had vinegar kraut that's been like canned. And then they have real lacto-fermented sauerkraut and they're like wow this is amazing but also fermented carrots fermented beets you can get a russian drink called beet kvass um which is kind of a tasty beet drink um you know kimchi you know obviously from korea and there's white kimchi and there's red kimchi and you know i mean to me it's like i like to think about sort of you know the body is Getting a diversity of microbes yes. is really important. So eating lots of different kinds of fermented foods. Um, but then also it's like, you know, and you'll agree with this because Chinese medicine, but it's like it's going into fall and winter. Our bodies are getting cold and kind of wet. And it's like, you know, things that are heating up our bodies. So if it is some kimchi or fermented hot sauce or it, you know, is, you know, bone broth with miso in it, or, you know, you can, you know, putting some miso paste on fish and baking it, or, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a million things that you can, you sort of do. And so, um, you know, this is definitely the time of year where a, I'm like, you know, the more you can warm the body, the better. And B like the sugar consumption. I don't get it. It's like, we go, you know, when you, when I look at things, I'm like, Oh, so we go from Halloween to Thanksgiving to Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's. And it's just like sugar, 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 sugar. And then it's like, well, no wonder we're all sick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think the amazing thing about fermentation is fermentation can also help to reduce sugar cravings and it helps to crowd out that bad stuff. So to me, it's like even more of a reason to be eating fermented foods and, you know, not just year round, but in the fall, in the winter and having a little bit, you know, every day or most days because it's helping also not that I'm saying you should go and pound a bunch of sugar, but it is helping to sort of keep, you know, different things in check, whether that is sugar cravings or whether that is the immune system or, you know, helping to crowd out the bad, you know, bad funky things that are flying around out there and, and sort of taking in. And, you know, it's, it's really sad, but Americans probably have the least diverse microbiome microbiota in the world. Oh Yeah. 
I'm not surprised. Because you know I mean? our, our, our diet is, is so limited. We don't have enough of those prebiotic foods. And people are like, well, what's a prebiotic? Well, for a probiotic to grow, you've got to fertilize the gut. So prebiotics are like onions and leeks and asparagus and bananas and, you know, legumes and nuts and potato starch or cold potato salad. But here's something that's interesting. Those are the foods that are going to give people gas and bloat when they have something that's called SIBO. And SIBO is small intestinal overgrowth. And basically, your small intestine is supposed to be pretty clean. And when you have SIBO, what happens is the small intestine intestine houses less than 10,000 bacteria per, per milliliter of fluid. The large intestine um, houses at least 1 million. So the small intestine is really incredibly important because your small intestine is like the, isn't the epicenter. It has billions of healthy bacterial organisms that kill off other bad bacteria. It helps you digest your food. It produces immune molecules. It produces vitamins. It's cancer prevention. Um, has cancer prevention compounds, and it helps to regulate your hormonal metabolism. So how do we get, you know, small intestinal overgrowth? Standard American diet, sugar, processed foods. And what I have to do is look at, is to address that. You know, a lot of times mainstream will use um, antibiotics, but that doesn't re usually resolve SIBO. You have to look at uh, botanical antimicrobials like oregano and thyme and berberine. And for a while, have people avoid those quote-unquote prebiotic foods and fermented foods because you don't want to feed any type of bacterial overgrowth. I kind of, <laughs> my analogy of it is, it's kind of like Chinatown moving to Little Italy. And they're like, I can't find my rice. I can't find my, my miso. How am I supposed to make a good dinner? There's only like mozzarella and pasta. I'm very confused. So you want to make sure that everybody's kind of like has their community of food in their designated neighborhoods. So it keeps everyone at bay. It keeps everything in balance and at peace. I'm not talking about people. I'm using this analogy in terms of food. So it's a good one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's true. So, and, and, you know, 80% of people that have irritable bowel syndrome have SIBO. So I say a lot of times, you know, let's clean up your gut. Let's get rid of that overgrowth of bad bacteria or just, it's not even bad sometimes. It's just an overgrowth of bacteria from the large intestine that's infiltrating into the small intestine that just shouldn't be there. So cleaning that up, then introduce uh, fermented foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime somebody comes to me and they say, I have SIBO or I have C. diff, um, oh, you yeah. know, I'm always like, and pause on your fermented foods. Mm -hmm. It's just a pause, right. you know, and you know, you re rebuild, heal up a bit, get, you know, get your nutrition up. You're going to do a bunch of other things. And then we're going to come in and we're going to play Pac-Man, you know, and, Pac-Man, you know, nom, 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 and the ghosts are the bad guy, and they're sort of, you know, eating all the dots, and they're sort of repopulating, you know, the gut, and so it's, you know, the gut is sort of this, you know, um, 
you know, it's sort of like a trickery in a way, you know, when you kind of think about it, um, you know, and I've gone through similar things, you know, even with myself where it's like, I didn't have SIBO, but I kept having waves of, you know, different stuff. And it was not, you know, it kept coming back negative. And, um, you know, regular, you know, when I went to a GI for like parasites and H. pylori mm-hmm. and different things. And then about a year ago, I had my GI mapped. And which is a way more comprehensive test. And when my test came back, what are the things that came back positive? H. pylori and parasites. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I probably, you know, one of my parasites was salmonella, which you could get from who knows what. And then the other one I probably picked up in Southeast Asia when I was there like three years ago. And so teaching. And so, you know, and the reason I probably got parasites is because my HCL was low, yes. you know, and yeah. I didn't know it was low and it was probably low from being a vegetarian for many years, or it may have been low mm-hmm. for other reasons. And so, you know, it's like, I think the gut is sort of just, I feel like I'm never bored <laughs> by kind of this discovery of, um, you know, what we know about it, what we don't know about it, what we're still figuring out about it, and that each of our microbiomes and our internal systems are totally different. You know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the next person. And that's okay, you know? And so it is sort of this, um, you know, sort of fascinating adventure. So what would you recommend for the average person? How do they start introducing fermented foods? Because sometimes it's a slow process because at first your body is like, oh my God, what is this? And they get kind of gassy and bloaty and then they acclimate to it. Yeah. I, I always tell people go slow. If you're new to fermented foods, just, you know, maybe have a little bit, you know, every other day or every day. If you feel like you're, you know, going to the bathroom a lot or you're getting sort of gassy or bloated, you know, slow your roll a little bit. Um, You know, microbes are powerful and that introduction of them, depending on what your gut system is, um, everybody's reactions can be a little bit different. Um, You know, I think what's amazing is like, you know, in parts of the world, like some people are 70% of their food a, a day is fermented. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it's, I mean, it, I think it just goes to show us like how separated we can be from those foods. And also like fermented foods is that fifth flavor, that umami, that like strong sort of sour, sharp, um, you know, but when you taste it, the minute you ferment fermented food in your mouth, those salivary emulates in your mouth juice up and, you know, all those enzymes come out, which is just further helps you with your digestion. And so, you know, I always just tell people like, go slow, work your way up. You know, people are like, oh, you eat fermented food every day. And I mean, I eat fermented food most days. That doesn't mean that I don't ever not eat it. Or every once in a while, I just have like a week where my body's just like, I don't eat this right now for whatever reason. And I just, I go with that sort of instinct that I don't, I don't have to have this every day, you know, and that's all right. So fermented vegetables from a Chinese perspective is they're cold. So what kind of more warming fermented foods can you recommend during the winter months? I mean, I would focus on things like with the herbs that they have then, things that have ginger in them, mm-hmm. you know, and garlic and peppers, you know, and this sort of, you know, things that So it balances sort of create, it out. Right. That can bring some of that sort of warming to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, you know, stir fries and add a little soy sauce and fish sauce in there some shoyus, you know, again, misos, um, 
you know, I try to, I focus on stuff like that, but, you know, and yes, in Chinese medicine, um, you know, fermented foods are technically considered cold, but like, it's not like you're eating a cup of fermented vegetables, you know, you're eating like a little bit sort of imbalanced with something. So, you know, it's like, you know, like this morning it was like, I had eggs and some locks that I had cured myself and for, you know, some cooked veggies. And then I had like a little bit of, you know, sauerkraut with my breakfast, you know? And so it was like, I had a warming meal and, you know, and the sauerkraut I had was uh, made by my friends. Um, They're called Hosta Hill. They're up in the Berkshires. They have an amazing sauerkraut company and they make this amazing curry kraut. So it has like a lot of turmeric and ginger and spice to it and that curry flavor. And, you know, and that was sort of like what I started my morning with, um, you know, so there's, you know, again, a million ways you can do it, you know, to make your own dosas and Ely and, you know, and, What's, and, and, and what is dosa? Um, it is like a Indian sort of like a little flatbread, sort of like a fermented pancake made with lentils and rice. Um, you know, you can make it with other, you know, grains as well, if you choose to be rogue. <laughs> um, yeah. So in your experience with the people that you've worked with, do you have any interesting stories of, um, that you've worked with clients where they've made a 180 in their healing? I mean, your story, you had terrible asthma. And actually, just on a little sidebar, when I worked with you, did I recommend herbs from the herbalist in Seattle? Yes, you did. <laughs> well, I don't know. Tierney Salter, she passed away a couple of years ago. And she was um, the the head. She was the head herbalist. It was her store. She had a couple of them and online products. And I loved her lung products. But one of the reasons why she was so into um, herbs, particularly dealing with lungs, she suffered from chronic weak lungs and asthma. And actually, um, sadly, and I, I found out suddenly last year that she had passed, she was up for a lung transplant. But she was so committed to creating the most amazing herbal formulas. And I just, I remember I placed you on them. They were really, and they still yeah. exist, but she was quite lovely. Yeah. I mean, herbs are an amazingly powerful medicine, and herbs can be really powerful in conjunction with fermented foods. Absolutely. You know, it's like, Food is medicine. It's all, you know, herbs are food. Yeah. It's how we use yeah. them. Yeah, I taught a, um, I taught a gut health workshop this past week. And, you know, it's amazing. You get in a room with like 20 people and there's all these stories, right? Like, you know, and, and then you always have like the line of people who want to talk to you after the workshop because they want to ask you other more specific questions related to their thing or whatever it is. And, you know, and, you know, one of the things that I talk about in that class is like, you have to go back, like fermentation is powerful. Herbs are powerful medicine. We have all these things that grow out of the ground that our ancestors have used, you know, for generations and generations, you know, we know that fermentation is over 10,000 years old and that's just in written documentation, you know? And so it's like, all these things, but I'm like, you have to go to food. That's like always the starting place. If you don't give a crap about where your food is coming from and you can't make any time to like cook something simple for you, you know, for yourself every day as part of your self care, then there's, there's a problem, you know? And so it's like, to me, it's just always like when people come to me, I'm just like, cook, just cook. Like you don't have to it's cook. It's your apothecary. Fancy. Your kitchen is your apothecary. 
Yeah, it is. But it truly is. And you know, that was a significant part of my healing journey. This is funny. This is, I, I, I was hoping you would get into this because cooking is crucial and we've lost, we've, we just, it's no longer part of our culture. It's fading. And if we get back to cooking, you know, if we want to change the face of healthcare and change the rising cost of healthcare, we have to start cooking. And we've got to, and I believe even on a budget, you can find the vegetables and you can find the protein that you need and to create good meals at home. Do you know what my food budget was when I first started working with you? Okay, I, I know you knew I was dirt poor. I don't know if you really knew. I how never dirt knew. Poor I, was. I, I, my, no, I didn't. <laughs> what was it? I was no, I was so dirt poor. Yeah. I remember coming to you and coming out, going off gluten. I came home and cried because I looked in my fridge and I didn't know what gluten was. So that was like you know, <laughs> eons ago. Because I was like, oh my god, I'm just eating twigs and leaves the rest of my life. Is this it for me and food? As somebody who like really enjoys food and like right. has an appreciation for great food, um, but you know, I remember you know my my food budget was thirty five dollars a week. Wow. <laughs> and I remember. I would go to Trader Joe's with a calculator or to like, you know, wherever I usually was Trader Joe's at that time. So it was way cheaper. And I mean, and I would have it like calculated down to like the last penny of like what I could get. And it was, and it was always like, what are the absolute cheapest vegetables I can buy that I can have? And it was like, great carrots, <laughs> zucchinis, you know, like I, I had it down to such a fine, <laughs> fine art of like going and being like, all right, if I'm going to get this one certain protein, then I have to figure out how to get a cheaper protein. I, and like flop. I mean, I had traders down Joe's down to like a fine art after like a year. <laughs> I was just like, wow. I'm so, I was so impressed with myself. I had a whole rotation system. If I bought a bag of Ottomans on this one week and the next week I wouldn't get nuts, but I would get something else because they were expensive. And then, you know, I had a whole like rotation system of how I was. Gonna, and you did it. And I did it. And I learned how to freaking cook better in the process. Wow. You know, like I really started cooking. I, I, what I, I feel, um, another point that I, I want to bring up, I was listening to a podcast with um, Alan Christensen and he's a naturopath. Mm-hmm. And he said that it is more important for people to eat vegetables, whether or not they're organic. Because even by the environmental working group that comes out with a dirty dozen vegetables each year, he said some of the, there, there may be traces of these herbicides or pesticides in there, but he said they may be so minuscule, but in the grand scheme of things, people need to eat veggies. Vegetables keep people healthy. So yeah. I say to people, when you can buy organic, particularly um, I would look at like leafy greens or, or berries, but if you can't, just rinse it with cold water and eat your vegetables. I mean, because yeah. that's to me that is the most important thing. Well, absolutely, and something you know I've been really interested in the last few years has been, especially living in New York City, mm-hmm. um, is food desert neighborhoods. You know, places where people are buying 90% of their food at bodegas because grocery stores can't stay open or, you know, they don't have access or they don't have the income. And I'm like, okay, like not everybody can afford to buy organic and local. And I fully support those practices. And if you're Mm -hmm. able to, I'm like, please do um, change the system because I actually believe in environmental change. However, 
Um, you know, I'm like a bottle of fruit and vegetable wash goes a long way, yes. you know, and, and there's some studies, there's some stuff start research starting to come out on fermentation that when you take, um, an organic, let's say a cabbage, an organic mm-hmm. cabbage and a non-organic cabbage, that the microbes are actually starting to eat away at the pesticides of non-organic produce, which to me is pretty freaking fascinating. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, both for access reasons mm-hmm. and also, you know, I just have this theory about like you could potentially solve world hunger with fermentation. That's like a whole TED talk probably um, <laughs> in the future. But, you know, but the, it is a real it is a real thing. And to me, it's like, wow, that's just another win for fermentation. Right. That not only are we increasing the nutritional value of something when we so, ferment it, but then mm-hmm. we can eat away the pesticides and the crap that's, you know, been kind of left behind on that food. Mother Nature's antibiotics or probiotics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? And vegetables are fuel, like we were talking yeah. about, you know? And it's like, you know, I had somebody come to me recently who was like, oh, well, I take a probiotic. And I was like, great. But their diets were like total shit. Yeah. And I was like. You're just canceling it out. Yeah, yeah, you're just canceling it out. And also there are no federal regulations for probiotics. And so, you know, really, you know, if just kind of, you know, doing some research and trying to be sort of um, knowledgeable or have at least some understanding of what you're buying, because not all probiotics are made the no. same. No, and, and that is why 60% of them, I think, in stores do not have the amount of probiotic that's actually listed on the label. But there are companies like Numedica and Metagenics and Designs for Health and Pure. There are nutraceutical companies that yeah. produce amazing probiotics and you're going to have to pay more for them. So if you're buying a probiotic that costs 10 bucks, you're not going to get much out of it. A good probiotic could be 30, I hate to say it, 50 bucks and they can be lifesavers. You know, probiotics are amazing. They can support lung function. They can help uh, heal the gut with uh, SIBO. They can... uh, stop diarrhea. They can promote peristalsis and bowel movement. I mean, there's so many different strains. There's so much that can be done. But so if somebody doesn't have the time to, to create, uh, fermented foods, where do they buy them? Like whole foods will have an array of, I know she's, you're smiling at me. I'm, we're, I'm I'm looking (laughs) at, um, Cheryl here on, on FaceTime. So how can people, um, buy probiotics on a commercial level that has integrity. Yeah. I mean, look for, you know, I'm a big fan of buying local regional sort of small batch food. Um, you know, it's like, I mean, granted I live in New York city, so I think, you know, probably accessibility is probably, we have some really good stuff down here, by the way. Yeah. The Caroline, I mean, we've got some really good local stuff. I was just in Indianapolis, um, last weekend Mm -hmm. and um, you know, it just had like this little natural food market that's been there forever that I love and popped in. And I mean, I was amazed. I mean, from when I was there a year ago, how much more fermented foods they had. I had some amazing local kombucha when I was downtown one day. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's like little health markets, but you know, I'm amazed like, you know, even here on the East coast, it's like, yeah, it's whole food and it's Whole Foods and it's food cooperatives and even like a lot of regular markets, like even one of the bodegas in my neighborhood has a bunch of different fermented foods sort of stocked. And, you know, so I think it is like, you know, sort of Googling 
fermented foods in your area or, you know, farms. A lot of times if you go find a farm or a CSA, um, people have fermented foods for access. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of ways to get them. And, you know, I mean, I think the thing is, it's like, yeah, if you don't want to make them yourself, there's absolutely nothing wrong with buying and supporting like small commercial companies who are making, you know, cultured foods, um, you know, and you're going to find those things in the refrigerated section um, at a at a store. Mm-hmm. You're never going to find them on like the bottom shelf. They're always going to say, you know, live, raw, probiotic, cultured, you know, foods that actually suggest like, hey, there's living microbes in this thing. And, you know, it's like heating those microbes up kills off a lot of the microbes, you know, they thrive in sort of this, you know, colder environment. And so, um, you know, you'll always find them in a refrigerator section. Um, you know, I really love South River Miso, which you can order online. Um, I think they make phenomenal miso and some of the best miso in the country. Um, you know, you can get tempeh. Um, there's some really good, there's a really good tempeh company. I cannot remember the name of it out of Richmond, Virginia, who's making awesome, like legit tempeh, not that weird rubbery stuff that you get um, necessarily at the market, but so can people find some of this? Did I make your ears pop right now? No. <laughs> oh, okay. So a little pop. Did, can people, um, if they go to your website, can they find some of this information? Can they, fi- I, I want to talk about your website and how people can access you and, and your workshops. And do you have recipes on your blog that people we can do follow? We have some recipes on our blog. Um, our website is getting ready to go through a revamp. So hopefully a lot of new stuff will be going on there, but we do have a lot of recipes for um, various ferments. We have a gazillion workshops coming up. Um, quite a few. We have, I think we have about 12 more workshops that are going to pop up on our website um, any day now, which is exciting. Um, you know, and we do corporate workshops and events and private coaching. So I have people who come to me and do private you know, one-on-one, whether that's in person or through FaceTime, and we sort of put together um, sort of a plan for them. And then, you know, it's like fermenting food doesn't have to take a lot of time. It can take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to whip something up, and then you're just waiting. You know, fermentation is about two things. It's always about the right food in the right environment, and then you just wait. And as long as you do those two things, you're, you're most likely to be successful. And that's something that I spent a lot of time debunking in my workshops is people come in and they're scared of the, of the idea of growing bacteria. They think it's going to be really hard and it's not. And, you know, they think that it's going to be time consuming and it's, it's really not. It's just pushing your patience button and being like, so I'm going to wait for this thing to start a party inside a jar. And then, how long I, does know? that usually take? I tried to make kimchi a few years ago, and it was really bad. I tried a couple of times. I don't know what I did. I was like, I am not <laughs> successful at this. Um, well, I mean, kimchi, you know, it could take one to two weeks, mm-hmm. depending on the temperature outside and the humidity, depending on, you know, a lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kimchi is sort of a finicky a little bit finicky. There's a couple things like soaking it in a salt water bath and making a paste and things that a lot of times I find people try to skip when making kimchi and then they say their kimchi turned into a disaster. Um, you know, but also like just because mold grows on something doesn't mean it's bad in fermentation, you know, almost always I'll be like, scrape it off till you get to something that looks good. 
and then, you know, sort of smell it, check it, taste it, you're good to go. Um, you know, and that's sort of the magic of microbes. You know, I can't, I, I was just telling my class the other day, I threw away so many gallons of sauerkraut in the early days because I kept getting what's called calm yeast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it was calm yeast and I thought it was bad. And it turns out it's not bad at all. And I was like, I still mourn like these early days of sauerkraut, patches of sauerkraut. I was like, in my heart, I still years later feel like saddened about like the sauerkraut sacrifices. That That's went in the so garbage. funny. So what I would, you know, how can people reach you? And w- get to- speak com, or also on you know instagram and facebook um you can email us at info at contrabandferments.com and i'll intru- i'll also include your information on the description in the podcast so are we can we do a workshop together in new york hell yes let's do it i want to do something this winter i'm serious i would love to do something with you I want to make it it happen. I think it's important. Maybe we can get you down here too. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So would you, do you have a closing statement or something you want to share with people? No, I just think that, I think that fermentation is really, it's simple. And if you can get sort of past the idea that it's microbes, that bacteria is sort of um, the shining star Um, if you can kind of brace like this sort of ancestral thing that's been handed down to us, then you're, it's going to be really simple. And, you know, just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really important. You know, people are always like, Cheryl, what do you do? I'm like, I'm an artist and a fermentationist. (laughs) And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, I grow bacteria (laughs) in food. You know what I mean? And people think that's like this weird thing, but I'm like, but it's, it's not weird. People all over the world have done it forever. (laughs) So baby girl, I am so glad you could join us today. This was really informative. It's so good to see you. And again, I will include all that info uh, about Cheryl's uh, uh, website and how you can reach out to her and do workshops because she really does awesome stuff. She's a great teacher. So next week's podcast, I am going to have Kim Richardson on. Uh, He is the pharmacist at at Pitt Street Pharmacy. He does bioidenticals. And we're going to talk about bioidenticals in menopause. I am looking so forward to that. So if anyone out there has questions, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to work with me, reach out at megrichichi at gmail.com. And if you would like to subscribe, rate, or review this show, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you can find and get this podcast. And until we meet next time, take good care. And it's important to know that you are mighty awesome and give birth to you because you rock the world.